Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I'm really excited to talk about the impact of adventure today. I know for myself, living a life that incorporates adventure feels great. Uh, Whether or not it's a weekend backpacking, a day hike, or a bike tour, it just seems to bring me so much joy. And on the podcast today, we have Belinda Kirk. Belinda has dedicated her life to adventure, leading incredible expeditions across some of the most remote parts on Earth, founding a not-profit that focuses on adventure, writing a book on why adventure is important, and in November, hosting a conference called Adventure Mind, about the importance of adventure to well-being and mental health. On the sidelines of all that, she's become a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and the British Exploring Society. Uh, You must be the expert in all things adventure. Belinda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, I don't know about expert, but I do love adventure. I'm a bit of a one-track kind of gal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's obvious. And, and you know, I kind of glossed over your life of adventure, but like, do you want to share a little bit about kind of your story, how you got started on adventure and why it means so much to you? Oh, I don't know where to start. I mean, I was very lucky that I had a, a when I was a young child, sort of six, seven, eight, nine years old, I lived on an island in the, it's called, it's called Alderney in the Channel Islands. So it's the islands between England and France. Because it was a small island, people weren't worried about strangers. They weren't worried about traffic. So I was free. And that kind of freedom for a young child is pretty special. And I think it's harder today. Um, you know, it's harder to kind of create that kind of childhood for anyone today. Um, or at least in the Western world. I had a feral childhood. The word feral was often used about me. <laughs> and I think that gave me a sense of adventure. But But I think also it just allowed me to develop a sense of adventure. I think everyone has a sense of adventure. I think it's just modern life stops us maybe feeling or or answering our call to adventure. I had a, I suppose that's where I first became an explorer um, in a way. And then um, as a teenager, I went away from the outdoors. Um, I moved to a city and all the, I mean, it's all kind of normal. I rediscovered it through something called the Duke of Edinburgh Award which is a, a British um, uh, charitable organisation that is about getting kid, uh, well, getting young people outdoors and, and into community service and so on. That really reintroduced me to my love of adventure and the outdoors. And then it really just went from there. Um, I went to Africa when I was 18, did my first expedition, travelled around Africa on my own afterwards. By the time I was 21, I was leading my first expedition to a place called the Taklamakan um, Desert in China. And Taklamakan means you go in, but you don't come out. So it's a super cool name. Uh, <laughs> and then I just went from there, really. I mean, I led a lot of expeditions through a lot of jungles and deserts. And then I got into television, taking film crews into very remote places. Um, and I ran my um, TV logistics career alongside my expedition career. Um, And so I've taken young people, old people, people, famous people, normal people, um, people from all kind of backgrounds. Um, But the probably looking back, the 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 expedition, the big adventures that I've had that I've have meant the most have been 
taking young people on youth development expeditions because those change lives and those I mean yeah I don't know you want meaning in life really and those have had the greatest meaning and so I'm interested about about the youth and and helping them to discover meaning what has been that change that you've discovered when you know you take youth and how is it different than from you're taking someone who's 40 who's you know maybe stuck in a job or a, a city or a place you know they don't love and you know helping them discover that oh there is no difference in a way because it's all just a wonderful if you discover or rediscover adventure in the outdoors but when you when you reach someone in their teens you change their whole life path just as it was for me i went on an expedition in my teens and it it changed my whole confidence it changed the it changed the very idea of what I was capable of and what I could hope for. And so I was able to live a more authentic, I, I was I was able to make decisions that were more authentic rather than constantly, you know, I think we, especially women, we are our own worst enemies. <laughs> our com, you know, if you don't have enough confidence, you you don't try for the things you really want. You kind of try for something close to it or, Something second on the list, a compromise, basically. You don't really go for what you want because you don't think that you're capable or you don't think that you should or it's not expected of you. Or It's great to reach people at any time. I mean, I could talk for ages about this. Obviously, I, I'm very passionate about it. I'm really interested in the idea of authenticity and, you know, talking about people. And, and, and I kind of, the example I gave is I meet people who are kind of in a rut and they're living a life because that's what everyone else is doing, or they made a decision when they're 18 to take something at school and then they got a job out of university and they got progression and a house and a car and a mortgage. And they've kind of never taken the decision for, for what they want to do. Is that what you see is that you meet people who they're living a good life, but it's maybe not the authentic life for them? I think nearly all of us have done that. I've even done that. You know, you can get not not that I shouldn't have, but I mean, I've, I've really tried to, to live, to do the stuff that I'm most passionate about. But I think our society pushes us into channels. And when you're in that channel, you have to work hard to get out of it. It's funny because you make all of these decisions towards what you think you want. And then you can find wake up one day and go, this isn't actually what I want. And um, partly that's because we have this very... Um, the way our society is constructed, I, I think we're supposed, you know, we we don't have freedom to think all the time. And I also think because we evolve, you know, you're never, I'm 48. The person who I was when I was 28, the person I was 18, these are different people. And, um, and sometimes you might just evolve and you just find out that you're not really where you want to be. I think just about everyone finds that at some point, don't they? <laughs> Uh, I, I think so, but it's, it's, I, I know a lot of people when I talk to them, uh, I had something similar. I was working, uh, in consulting and working a corporate job and I just happened to find a couple books and that would, that's what helped me, you know, take, take the step in living a more authentic life. Uh, but I think it's hard. It's hard for people. And actually that's going to lead into, uh, uh, some questions about your books. You wrote a book about the impact of adventure on people's lives. And, uh, I'm interested because this is something that like, 
uh, people realize once they get into adventure, they realize it, but I've never heard anyone write a book about the impact and, and what inspired you to put so much effort into, into getting this down on a book and it has incredible reviews and is a great read, but, but what made you say, yeah, I gotta, I gotta write a book about this. Well, really, it was the book that I wish I could have found 20 years ago. I mean, genuinely, I've been, I've spent 30 years leading adventure, well, groups in on adventures, groups into the wilderness. What I saw year after year after year was this wonderful transformational effect. And I also felt it when I, myself, when I was a teenager, I had um, low self-esteem. I was really quite lost in my teen years and adventure saved me and gave me the confidence to to think about what I actually wanted and empowered me basically but I thought it was just me at the start because that's all the experience you have as a teenager you know as as someone in their early 20s but as I led more and more adventure trips I saw more and more people deeply affected by adventure in a positive way And I thought, well, why aren't we talking about this? Why is this a wonderful value of adventure, but adventure is seen as this frivolous luxury, this thing that's maybe only for the elite. And I couldn't really understand why it wasn't celebrated more. So I I was just curious as to like, how does this work? And I looked for this book for for years and I tried to find it, (laughs) tried to find the answers. But in, in the end, I had to piece together all the, I've read hundreds of different scientific studies from all sorts of areas, um, disciplines. So tourism, outdoor education, adventure education, psychology, evolutionary psychology, positive psychology. And because I was trying to draw in these, this evidence from different places to try and understand and create an argument for adventure being good for us. Um, because I couldn't find that argument anywhere else. And I looked and I asked and I asked academics to write the book because I was like, you know, you should write, someone should write this book because somebody needs to explain what I'm seeing and witnessing, but I want to understand it. So I couldn't ever find the book. So eventually I wrote the book because I spent about a decade (laughs) out of pure curiosity researching researching and piecing it all together and when you talk about adventure is adventure in your definition going someplace exotic on an expedition or can it also be more attainable can it be something people can do on a daily basis even absolutely it can be both and it can be everything in the middle adventure i define adventure as being a challenge in nature but a a chosen challenge in nature so the idea that you're stepping into the unknown into the uncertain and that there's probably going to be adversity along the way because you know if you if you challenge yourself you are by very definition leaving your comfort zone so it's going to be difficult in some way but by choosing challenge by choosing this um uncertainty and this difficulty you know especially once you start doing it you know that what you get out of it is much greater than a bit of discomfort along the way, a bit of feeling anxious about it or maybe failing or getting cold or tired or hungry or wet or, you know, as you do on an adventure. There has to be a little element of that grit. Yeah, so I I sort of define adventure as being this idea of chosen challenge. And I think you can 
you can sort of experience adventure in a built-up urban environment, maybe doing parkour or maybe doing something like um, bouldering or at a climbing wall or something. But predominantly, it's it, it's it's best done or it's most naturally done in nature. So a chosen challenge in nature would be how I'd define it. And you talked about the impacts of adventure and you reflected a little bit about mental health. I'm kind of interpreting, I think there's a little bit about relationships that are being built in this. Uh, obviously, there's some physical health, but, you know, can you maybe talk a little bit more about, like, what are the tangible impacts that, that you've seen from, you know, leading people into adventure? Well, I wrote 250 words about this. <laughs> Not words, <laughs> 250 pages about this. So I don't know where to begin. I mean, when I try to break it down into the different impacts of adventure i i've kind of grouped it under headings things like inspiration healing um you know it's a great healer and i've seen it it's healed me and it's healed many people that i've worked with it's great for building relationships you go through this camaraderie you build this trust you choose this if you go through a challenge together it brings you together and then you can use that um, not only to have a better relationship with the person you're with on the adventure but also you take that kind of ability to trust and to to uh, build camaraderie out away from adventure as well it's always the it's always the skills we take back from adventure to our everyday life that that makes it important I think and that's why it's important because the great positive emotions you have on adventure is great but it's when you take it back to everything else you do your career your relationships your you know every everything at home um, so I've gone off the point a bit, sorry. <laughs> so what did you ask? Yeah, what are the impacts? Goodness, yeah. So healing, relationships, um, helps you to face fear. It helps with personal growth. Um, it, and also helps you to find meaning. So essentially, wrapped up together, it helps you to live your best life, I think. You know, it's a very natural way of finding out what we're capable of, building up a bank of positive emotion, of empowering yourself to go and live a much better life and an authentic one, because I think the only way you, you fulfill your potential is to be authentic. So that's one way of answering it, but I could get into some psychological models as well. If you want, we can pick out some perma (laughs) is a big, a big favorite Um, uh, self-determination theory flow, optimal experiences you might've heard of. I mean, I could, we could get into that as well. Well, actually, I'm interested in our lives are so distracted and, you know, we're constantly being distracted by our phones, by our computers, by life. We've got schedules that we have to be places all the time. And is is part of the impact people just not having a thousand things to do each day and having time for themselves to just kind of be themselves and discover who they are and have the space that they're not being bombarded with things to do. Is that something that uh, you found with uh, expeditions that that's part of the growth aspect? Oh, definitely. That's one of the nice things about putting one foot after the other, trudging up a hill or a mountain or something, or, or you know, if you're kayaking or whatever you might be doing, it's that mindfulness. There's nothing so wonderful as being in the moment and that, that mindfulness that you get very naturally with a, with an adventure you're outside your comfort zone you're doing something a little bit novel it doesn't have to be climbing Everest it could be 
camping in your garden with your kids if that's what's a bit of a challenge for you and your kids and it is I mean I even do that it's always a challenge taking kids camping <laughs> it's a good good <laughs> challenge but a challenge so because it's a little bit difficult and a little bit novel you are there and all the stuff that bothers you in your mind in the modern world your notifications on your phone have I left the iron on um, <laughs> oh, I've got to answer that email. I haven't paid that bill because the computer kept not working, but I have to go back and pay that bill because they're going to cut off the whatever. All that stuff of modern life, it's never ending, isn't it? You know, your phone, your your laptop. I mean, we're just bombarded. And so there's nothing better than, especially if you can do an adventure when you're literally cut off <laughs> and you're away from all of that. But yeah, you're you're in the moment, and there's well, mindfulness is a is a big part of it. It's a it's a great part of it. I feel so fortunate here in the Canadian Rockies. Phones don't work outside of the one highway that goes through it, and it's it's super rare in life to be cut off. And so when I go backpacking with my family, we have three days where nothing works. There's no video games. There's no connecting with friends on Discord, and it's just it's just super powerful to have that experience, but there's not, you know, it's rare. Like in the UK, uh, I can't think of a place that my phone hasn't worked in Europe. It works everywhere. You're the most remote peaks in the Alps, your, your phone still works. If you come to our house in Exmoor, your phone won't work. <laughs> so there's oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. There's one place the phones don't work. <laughs> we no, we do have a landline. Um, Although we have thought of getting rid of it. But um, yeah, no, we have internet now because we have to work from home and stuff. But uh, it's nice. And yes, I mean, Canada's beautiful. I was just in Calgary recently. Oh, that's where I am. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful, so lovely. And it's great to have that that time where you don't even have to decide to turn your phone off. You're just out of communication. It's a luxury. And there's lots of things living here I didn't realize are so unique. And, and in today's day and age, this phone's not working is, is one of them. Um, your book has some really incredible stories about uh, people and their kind of transformation. I wonder if there's one for you that, you know, really sticks out for you that, that maybe is like one of the best examples of how adventure can change somebody's life. That's hard to pick one. I mean, some are important to me because they were the, they were the moments when I realized it's not just me, or I realized the power of adventure. Um, and then there's other stories that I find are just very powerful because they show, I mean, I love the story of Sam because it shows that you don't need to do big adventures to have a huge impact. Um, my, my background is in expeditions. I used to think that expeditions changed lives and that was very much my focus. And it was only through doing smaller adventures and being involved with charities that do smaller adventures that I realized you don't have to get on a plane you and you don't have to spend a lot of money. You can do something in your evenings, in the weekends. You know, you can do something small to, to, to make a big impact on your well-being, your family's well-being. And so I've got to tell you the story now, don't I? <laughs> so Sam was a, a teenager who had been struggling for years with anxiety and depression until he got to the point where he was actually suffering as uh, from uh, or he'd become a selective mute so selective mutism means that you 
are able physically to speak, but you can't. And so he had stopped speaking. Well, you can't imagine the stress, the upset that that must have caused for him and his family. And so they tried everything, um, all the traditional routes, and nothing was working. But then they heard about this pilot study um, of surf therapy. And it was six weeks of surfing, basically. And they thought, well, that's going to make him feel better. It'll give him a bit of time off from thinking about all of this stuff that must be going on and give him a bit of fun. And so they signed him up and he went along six weeks of surfing and he he fell off and he got back up and he kept trying. So he was building resilience. He was he was also building through doing that. He was building trust in his teammates, in his instructors. They were going through these challenges together. Um, he I don't know if you surf, you probably do. You're <laughs> I surf very, very badly, Emmett. I can stand up on a board, and that, for me, is a huge win. <laughs> no, that's exactly how bad I am. It's brilliant, though. It's fun. It's so much fun still. And so I don't do it all that often, but I love that thrill. I think anyone who's surfed and has caught a wave, there's a massive thrill. It's a wonderful sense of achievement. There's a joy. You have the awe, the feeling of awe in your environment and in your teammates if they're catching waves as well. So all those positive emotions he was building into his his memory banks. Um, and this six-week course, you know, his parents could see a, a change in him. And it was great. So they came down to watch the last session of the six-week um, surf therapy or surf lessons, really. And an otherwise very unremarkable moment, he just started speaking. He just started speaking to his instructor. Oh, wow. And so there he was, stood in the waves and... Oh, <laughs> it just makes me feel like, oh, every time. And he, at the end, his parents went over to Joe, who set up the pilot study, and they said, and his father said to him, thank you for giving us back our son. I don't know how much you know about therapy and, and about mental health, but sometimes you just need a door to open. If if nothing is getting through, you just need something. And then you can, I don't, it was the door, it was the change, it was the turning point um, for Sam. And that's six weeks of surfing, you know, um, some 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 surf lessons for six weeks, and that changed um, a young person's life. And 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 that's not the only one. Um, it's now a it's now a big charity that um, that started from that surf surf therapy pilot study, and you know is helping uh, thousands of people, thousands of young people around Britain. I, I've heard about similar projects in in the States, um, in other places, you know, just a bit of surfing. You know, you don't have to be a superhero to go and try that, do you? You know, I've, I've read so many, you know, I haven't read the actual studies, but you, you read, you know, newspaper articles about studies where someone just goes in nature and the impact on their, on their sense of happiness or joy and uh, longer studies where they go in nature and the impact on clinical depression. And there's something about us, you know, we're wired to, to be outdoors, to be active. Uh, in fact, next week on the podcast, I'm talking with a son who invited his mom on a bike tour. And his mom was was depressed, you know, clinically depressed. And actually on that bike tour was the first time in years she wasn't depressed and, you know, reconnected with her son. And it's, it's not abnormal. You know, what you're describing, it's not like it's one case out of a million. It's, I think we all feel it a little bit. Like if I'm anxious, there's a big outdoor nature reserve near my house the whole family will go for a walk after dinner and that'll just 
chill me out. Like, you know, it's like having two glasses of wine, just going for a walk. And if it, you know, if that can happen just, you know, an hour in nature, these ideas of six weeks in nature, being in the water of exploring your own skills and learning and, you know, battling to achieve things. Uh, it's it's kind of obvious, but it's not obvious. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that at least here in Canada, you hear about, oh, there's, you know, a big focus on, you know, adventure travel as a means to, to combat uh, mental illness. And I think it's just such an incredible story that, that you shared just to show how much, how much this can help. Yeah. I mean, it, literally I could tell you not even dozens, hundreds of stories where this counts and talking about nature, I think there's a wonderful amount of evidence and I think instinctively, you know, it's becoming more mainstream. Going into nature is good for us, mind, body and soul. And it's called the nature effect and I'm a massive fan of it. And it, it's wonderful that that has become more mainstream. What I'm trying to say and trying to add to that narrative is that it forest bathing and being in nature, that sort of um, being in nature is fantastic. And we should do that. But also... If you're in nature and you take on a challenge that you've chosen, then you have something like nature plus plus or what I call the adventure effect. <laughs> so you have the nature effect and the adventure effect. And it's even better for you because you build all of those ideas around you know, competency, accomplishment, around self -com self-confidence building, empowerment and all of those other things. So what I'm trying to do with Adventure Mind and with my work is say, yes, let's get let's get outdoors let's get in nature that is number one that's essential but also let's choose a challenge let's find ways to challenge ourselves and I think also what's great about adventure is that when I was a teenager if someone had said to me go in nature you're feeling bad you know you're feeling bad about yourself or whatever go in nature come and do forest bathing or come and come and spend time in nature I don't think I'd have been interested um not that I'm saying other teenagers aren't interested in that but I I think if you talk about adventure and a call to adventure, it does reach people who wouldn't maybe otherwise come to nature. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing this other research that's coming out that's through um, Adventure Mind, through the research, through the researchers that I'm working with around the world and really pushing that as a as a new narrative or a or an extra part of the nature effect. I mean, it's all semantics, really. It's like we are hunter-gatherers. We evolved to be hunter-gatherers. We evolved to live adventurously. That's in our very nature. So we need to be outside and and embrace more of that. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. And I was just thinking with my kids, they never want to go backpacking. But once we're doing it, they love it. And it's it's kind of that same thing. Like, it's it's how do you inspire? Let's go to the mountains. I don't know. Let's go backpacking. I don't know. And then we're, you know, going to this like remote lake or going up a pass. And they're like, this is great, Dad. We love this. And it's uh, I'm, I'm going to think how I can tweak the message so that they're happier. You know, we're packing up our backpacks on a Friday, Friday afternoon to get them more jazz because it is. Yeah, they're inherently it's work for them. But once they're doing it, they love it. Well, there's an anxiety, isn't there, about doing something that's not not easy but it, life is about also finding is figuring out that actually the stuff in ma in life that matters is is not easy having children is not easy it's the hardest thing i've ever had ever done mm -hmm. you know but it's also <laughs> when you do hard things it's always worth it if it's something you you believe you want you choose you want to do it 
it's all it's it's hard it might but it's always worth it and that's kind of something you can learn through adventure and then take to the rest of life or learn it in, in the rest of life as well but yeah so they're probably just thinking oh we've got to do yeah it's going to be a bit tough it'd be easier to sit home watch netflix um, <laughs> but it's always worth it i've never gone out for a trail run I, I jump I, I jump in a river every every week now, uh, no matter the how cold it is. I love wild swimming. And no matter how much I think in the morning, I really don't want to go. I can't be bothered. I've never come home and thought, I wish I hadn't gone. Do you know what I mean? You never regret going for a run, even if it's just a bit of exercise. It's a bit like that. You never regret having a bit of exercise. It's tough sometimes to get over the threshold. I'm interested. My neighbor has started going into the lake every day of the year. He cuts a hole in the ice. You know, I've never done it. And so from your point of view, like you're jumping in rivers in, you know, the UK winter when it's cold out. How does that make you feel like like you keep doing it? Is it does it ever get easy? Is it always hard? Is it the 30 seconds of pain for then the joy for the rest of the day? You feel alive. I mean, that's and enjoy and all the research that I've done over the last 10 years, interviewing um, adventure, adventurers and, and normal people when I say adventure, anyone who does adventure, like, why do you do it? Why do you love it? Why do you keep going back when it's when you get cold and tired and it might be expensive, the adventures you do, and it might be hard and it, you know, you might be chipping holes in ice <laughs> to get into the into an ice hole. Why would you do that? It's crazy. And the main thing I hear um in fact, I kept hearing it so often that I stopped hearing it, but I realized it's, I feel most alive or I feel alive. And that was the thing that I kept hearing. And I think that is a great way of summing it up, really. You know, you just, we're here, we're not here to just get through the day. We're here to feel alive. And so we have to get through the day sometimes because we have, you know, that's life. But we want to find moments to feel alive, to be to be rejoicing in being in this planet and to be lucky enough to still be here. So yeah, adventure is a good way for that. Okay. I'm going to ask for some advice. It's going to be eight degrees Celsius this weekend. If I go into the lake, should I jump in or ease in? No, no, don't, don't jump in. The way wild swimming works is you have to, it, it's better to, let's put it this way. <laughs> it's advisable to, start when it's warmer and get used to it and get become acclimatized over weeks or even months but jumping into ice water when you've never done it yeah i feel it's gonna like <laughs> give me a heart attack or something it could yeah you could be in trouble and also you don't know what you're jumping into and i don't know so i wouldn't say jump in try it see it how you go ease in have a hot drink because your core temperature afterwards you can't get in a hot car and, and even that won't really help. You really need hot fluid <laughs> to really warm you up. But yeah, I mean, chipping an ice, if you've not been doing it, take it easy. Take it a little bit at a time. What what you'll find is that you're really cold at the start and then you go a bit numb and actually you kind of enjoy it for a bit and then you get cold again and you have to get out. But I mean, yeah, I don't want to advise you to go ice dipping when you haven't been doing any of it because um, you're not really supposed to do it that way so take it take it easy if you're going to do that 
I'm going to give it a go. And yeah, there's no ice yet, but it's going to be a cold weekend. Um, you talked earlier about how you wrote your book, Adventure Revolution, as a book you wish you'd had 20 years ago. How would your life be different if you'd been able to read this book 20 years ago when you were younger? Maybe it would have given me more confidence to, to follow this call to adventure that I had. What happened for a long, long time is I kept getting asked by family and friends, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> and of course, you start to think that as for yourself. You're like, is this sensible? Am I a grown up? Should I keep doing this or should I go and get a proper, you know, should you second guess yourself? I think it would have just given me a lot more confidence in what I was trying to do. Maybe I would have made decisions quicker. I don't know if it, yeah. And yeah, it would have given me an inner confidence. But also what would have been great is that I would have been able to communicate because the reason I wrote the book is because I want to for people to understand what they're already feeling or for them to have the tools to communicate with the data and the theories and the ideas and the, and the wonderful stories. It's got lots of stories in it. It's not a science book. It's kind of popular science, but around stories of transformation. I wanted to write it and I wish I'd had it as this tool to communicate what I was feeling, but I couldn't put into words. So what took a long time was trying to figure out how to communicate what I felt in my heart and I could seen and I'd witnessed, but I couldn't put it into words. So that was the hard job. <laughs> it's interesting how you mentioned kind of like pressure from your family and friends. And uh, I know in my my life, moving from a stable job and consulting to travel, uh, everyone would say, what the heck are you doing? Why are you leaving? Why are you going from that to this? And uh, that was a fairly minor transition in the grand scheme of things. I have a niece who gets a lot of grief. She's exploring super remote places. And uh, my my parents go, "What what's going on? You know, go and, you know, why are you going to that country? And there is, there's just a lot of pressure to live kind of a, a more standard life. And so uh, I love the idea of this, this book getting to the hands of teens when they're still evaluating, evaluating what should they do with their lives and knowing that there's other options out there. Obviously people around you do that because they care for you, but actually we live in a, we live in a society dominated by fear, really. I mean, look at our politics and our, look at what's happening on the news at the moment. I mean, we have a society that is not about freedom really, or, or authenticity. It's, it's about compliance and, and fear, I think. And so people are trying to do their best to help, but people come and ask me like, Oh you know, how do I get started? And, and so on. And the thing I always say is really, you have to start listening to yourself. You really have to tune into what do you want? And if you don't know what to do next, just think and you don't have this grand plan of what you want to be when you grow up, as it were. You don't have a, you know, a 10 year, five year plan. That's OK, because what you need to do is listen to your heart. Think about what you believe in, your values, trust yourself and your instinct and think, well, what do I want to do next? And when you take those steps, it's a bit like going up a mountain. You see yourself and you see the terrain around you differently. And so sometimes you just have to get on the path to figure out where you want to be. You just have to start walking or whatever. You have to start following your instinct. And so it's really hard. I mean, it,
and as I say, you evolve as well. So decade after decade, you might want something different, but you might not know what it is, but you might, you just know that where you are ain't where you want to be. <laughs> so you've got to do something. And sometimes you just have to trust your instincts to take you to the stuff that you believe in, because it's got to, if you're not doing something that's meaningful to you, you know, you, you know, we spend maybe five days a week working. If that stuff doesn't matter to you, it's just to pay the bills. Then there, and I know that I'm very, I'm very grateful. I'm not in that position. And I know that some people find themselves in that position and they cannot get out in the short term, but in the long term, you, yeah, you have to try your best. Um, and I think in the Western world, many of us, most of us have that opportunity and don't maybe use it. And I'm not talking about in, in other countries and cultures. And some people are in a, a, a very tough situation and they don't have the option. But I think a lot of us in the West do have that choice and society pushes us to squander it. So, yeah. When young people ask me what to do next, I'm always, huh? I love the way you said that society uh, uh, forces us to squander it. And yeah, there's so many people who, you know, and I had it, um, this isn't the right path for me, but I don't know how to get off it. I don't know what other options there are. And you said at the very start, the first thing and the hardest thing is just that first step. And, you know, you don't have to have an end destination in mind necessarily. Uh, you can just step off and start to discover, you know, just start to discover that that's a great first step. Um and so wonderful advice there, Belinda. Well, the people I know that do, that have jobs that they most love or make a living doing the thing they most love, they don't, you wouldn't find this book in a careers guide. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, not all of them, but a lot, uh, most of them, they, they kind of do things that you couldn't really define almost. Um, and they definitely could have, couldn't have sat as teenagers and had figured out, I want to do that. Um, as my career, because it they don't, yeah, because they're unique. We're all unique. We all have incredibly unique talents and values and drivers. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, be, before we go, you have something really cool coming up in November. I think it's in Sheffield called Adventure Mind. And then do you, do you want to just describe, you know, what this is? Because it's a really interesting uh, conference that seems unique from, you know, all the conferences I've ever been to. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking about it. Um, it's nearly a decade. I've been trying to bang this drum of like adventure for well-being. Let's value it. Let's talk about it. Let's try to communicate this message. Um, and the research I did led to the book. The the research I led also led to me setting up the first conference, Adventure Mind Conference, before the pandemic. And that was all about trying to bring scientists together in these areas, all these disparate areas that I was talking about earlier, to try to, to to convince them to like, please put some research into this area because we, the practitioners who take people on adventures can see that it's really good for people, but we don't have the evidence. We don't really have enough evidence to prove this, as it were. Um, and adventures not for weirdos and, and elite or, or people with a death wish who want to base jump it's actually all of those people. They want. They have a life wish. They want to live. Um, it's not about seeking, um, seeking dangerous situations. It's about seeking moments of feeling alive. And so, this the first conference was so 
was so good. <laughs> well, it wasn't actually great. Well, it was good. But also there was lots of mistakes I made because I'd never even actually been to a conference. So possibly I, should, <laughs> I wasn't the right person to do it. But it doesn't stop me. But it was what it did do. It was great in lots of ways, if imperfect. But what it did do is it really pushed this idea. And loads of scientists went off and started writing and um, researching and doing more in this area and filling in some of these gaps. And so now, four and a half years later, whatever, there is so much more evidence. Um, and it's and I have to admit, COVID also helped, you know, the 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 focus on well-being also helped. So the first conference was about engaging the scientists to do more work in this area. And now all future, uh, or I think, oh, I don't know, who knows what will happen in the future, but subsequent conferences have been about engaging the practitioners and helping them do what they do so well. Um, so it's uh, it's open to outdoor leaders, um, therapists, um, counsellors, coaches, and and all adventurers all sorts of people who who can help facilitate adventure for well-being in other people or who just simply want to understand the science around adventure for well-being and the and the the evidence-based practice that's that's growing and growing and growing as well internationally so adventure mind yeah is all about that um but also adventure mind is, is a wider umbrella there's the conference it's also a network for people who work in adventure for well-being so that same community it'll be a professional directory um by the time the website is it's now going to have its own website and so on um at the end of november with the conference adventuremind.org i think <laughs> it's not up yet but it will be um and there's also a grant. So it's a grant for, for for people who wouldn't otherwise be able to access adventure and to help them or their family to go and do something for their well-being. So it's kind of, yeah. And there's more coming. <laughs> I, I don't know how you get the energy to do all this, Belinda. Uh, it's incredible, all these different things you do. And I want to say thanks for coming on the show. It was a really interesting conversation. Oh, thank you. It's been great. It's been great to talk about it. And uh, and thank you for helping me share how important adventure is for everyone's well-being. So hopefully listeners will go out and do do something adventurous. That's the goal of this podcast is to let people know of, you know, the power of adventure, where to adventure and just take that, that first step. Um, if people want to find out more or find you, where can they find you? Where can they find your book? Where can they find uh, Adventure Mind? So um, Adventure Mind is on the Explorers Connect website at the moment. But, I, uh, but as I say, uh, by December, it'll be on uh, adventuremind.org. I'm Explorer Belinda on um, some social media, Twitter and Instagram, Explorer Belinda. Um, and if you want to hear about teammates and so on, you can join up to the newsletter on Explorers Connect. It's free. And I connect lots of people looking for teammates doing independent adventures, small and large, all around the world. Um, and my book is on all the online platforms. You can also buy it in the in the bookshops in Europe. And it from December, so from well from January twenty twenty four, it will be available in the bookshops in America and Canada as well. So that would be great. And it is on Kindle here in Canada, at least I assume in the U.S. as well. And it's a really uh, enlightening read. So uh, uh, I'll put links to all of these in the show notes. And uh, yeah, those jobs or those uh, adventures trying to find each other on uh, uh, on Adventure Connect, I think it was, 
I was like, oh, I wish I was 20 years younger. Uh, there were some really cool uh, opportunities there that if I didn't have a family and a full-time job and a company, I'd be all over those. Well, when the kids grow up, come back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, well, and with that, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 Adventures.